Hi there folks, welcome back to the Inside Line F1 podcast and we missed you Formula 1. We really did. What is it? 3 and a half weeks but it's felt like an eternity and there's so much that we miss about Formula 1 that we're just going to have an emotional outpouring in this particular episode and we will tell you about all the things that we're excited about for the Belgian GP. But first, I must introduce myself. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. And luckily in the same city as me right now is Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team, who's also an FIA accredited Formula 1 journalist working for the Viaplay network. And first off, Kunal, I know that it feels like a long long time and i know that there's so much to look forward to but if you had to pick one particular aspect that you'd really love to see at this year's belgian grand prix just what would it be for you firstly thank you very much somal it's fantastic to be back although we've been around pretty much every week even through the summer break but yes it's great formula 1 is back it's great formula 1 joins the fun that we've been having through the summer break the one thing that i am really looking forward to this weekend in spa is not the rain it's piasco but with a different twist with a twist okay so this is how i see it right now the ideal fia press conference lineup would be daniel ricardo fernando alonso oscar piastri mark webber sack brown otmar safnauer and flavio briatori but of course we are not going to have the ideal setup right but th- the thing is Let's let's take Oscar Piastri. Everybody else will have their own way of getting their official words out because they are members of teams, they'll be in the official conference, etc., etc. But Oscar Piastri, will he actually have an official word out at all apart from Twitter? And if he does have his official word out, will he sit in Alpine's motorhome and say, "Hey, I'm not racing for Alpine. Didn't I just tweet that?" Or will he actually sit in McLaren's motorhome to say, you guys know where i'm going to be racing next season so interesting to see how his message is going to be delivered just as much as we're interested interested in knowing what that message is going to be somal it's like you've read my mind because that's the same question i had in my mind as well well will he be in the paddock now because officially he's still under contract as an alpine reserve driver for this year so i mean technically he should be there so i was just wondering if he's in the paddock what color will he wear but apart from piastri as well i think we should also be grateful that we may just end up getting a race in belgium for the first time in what two years and and we still don't know if we actually are going to get one because apparently for sunday there is rain on the radar so the first thing that i'm looking forward to is a race in the first <laughs> place just like steve slater mentioned but speaking of steve slater here's a quick message from him that we want to deliver to all of you we'll be back here in a second welcome back in folks to the inside line f1 podcast and i know you'd love to join in for this with this sunday's watch along on ptm insider and we'd so love you to have you in, over there because imagine watching a race with an expert like steve like steve slater who spent over two decades working for brands like espn star sports and fox sports just to understand how he looks at the race in real time i think it's going to be something else for me kunal it's it's literally like a childhood dream come true because there's only so much that you can say on a live tv broadcast but with the access of a platform like insider that's global and where people like anywhere in the world from can join in it'll be more fun to chat with steve and with all of you folks as well joining in you can send in your questions live and we also have quizzes and polls and competitions as well don't we 
We do. And, you know, this is actually, uh, it's good to talk about it because after the Piasco twist that I just spoke about, this is our effort to, you know, sort of add another dimension to everyone's race viewing experience. And when I say everyone, I mean global because we have successfully built a global community on the Inside Line F1 podcast. And, you know, there are so many times I've been asked, hey, would you watch a race in a pub? And I'm like, yes. Would you like to, you know, sit in a cafe with a few friends and watch a race? And I'm like, yes. And I land up with all of my five screens and feeds to sort of, you know, tell people how many dimensions I sit and watch the race with, you know. And here's another dimension. Like, imagine there's something about strategy that Ferrari are doing right or don't do right or what Mercedes are doing or what what's actually happening throughout the field. And it's like getting a chance to see how an expert like Steve Slater with, you know, two decades of experience, like, you know, you just said, you know, the, what, are the, what are the data points he picks up? How, how is it that he watches a race? Because, hey, even though the demography of Formula One has only become younger thanks to Netflix and Drive to Survive and all the other efforts that Formula One has put in place, the way in which you should watch a race and enjoy it is still like the good old days. You know, you have strategy, high-speed, you know, game of chess, as we call it. We have all the wheel-to-wheel action, as we call it. There's lifetiming, which I'm pretty much, you know, glued on to all the time. There is race control messages and just so many messages, just so many feeds that are being thrown to us. And how do you make sense of all of that? And that's why we are trialing such community-engaging sessions with a legend like Steve Slater, Sommel. Exactly. And the best part is, it's completely open for everyone who joins in to ask questions as well. Because otherwise, you're kind of very dependent on what the commentator ends up saying on the broadcast. But here you can throw in your question very easily. So at some point in the race, you might be wondering, well, yes, but has the commentator talked about Pierre Gasly's stop on lap 25? I really want to know about that. But the commentators might not focus on that. Here, you can ask your questions anytime, anywhere while taking part in quizzes and polls. So I think it's going to be very, very exciting. And if you want to know more about it and how you can join in, check out the link in the description of this particular episode. But speaking of Steve Kunal, he had a very amazing thing that he shared with us in the last episode of the podcast, which was F1 Explained, where he was talking about what to look forward to for the Belgian Grand Prix this weekend. So why don't we hear from Steve what he actually really is looking forward to this time out? Well, the first thing on my list in Belgium is we're a thousand meters up in the mountains uh, above Liège on the German-Belgian border. Let's not have any rain like we had last year. I mean, Brit- uh, Britain and Europe over the last two to three weeks have been suffering almost drought conditions, exceptionally high temperatures. And sadly, in some areas in France and Spain, have had uh, desperate forest fires. And, and we certainly don't want those to continue. But I do not want the cloudbursts that we had in the 2021 Belgian Grand Prix. In fact, I hesitate to even call it a Grand Prix. Four laps behind a safety car and then call Max Verstappen the winner is not a Grand Prix in my book. Um, I, I'm still amazed at the cynicism that allowed that race to be run. But uh, so let's first of all say fair weather or the odd shower that will make things interesting. But let's not have the downpours that we had last year. Next thing after that is Ferrari. It's a, it's a track that can work for Ferrari. Um, 2018, Vettel won for them here. Charles Leclerc won in 2019. It probably plays to the strength of the Ferrari. Um, 
it's a track that you don't need huge amounts of downforce, but it, 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 it's got slow, medium and slow corners as well as the really long straights. And uh, it could be a track where Mercedes could recover their form as well. But Ferrari is it's just so frustrating because we know they've got a car that can win races. And it's almost as if the combination of reliability and strategy sometimes just they, they shoot themselves in the foot. And I really do. I mean, at the moment, they've demonstrated they've got a car and drivers that can win individual Grand Prix, but they yet don't have an infrastructure to go head to head with a Mercedes or a, um, or a Red Bull and fight for a world championship, which is a great pity because I think Max now, I wouldn't say he's home and dry, but it would have to be a disaster for Red Bull for Max Verstappen not to, uh, uh, not to be world champion this year. So then, are we genuinely going to get a three-way fight, Kunal? Uh, because we've all flirted with the idea of it a couple of times earlier in the season, but I'm really not sure because it's so it's been so long since we saw the last race it's hard to really connect the dots and to feel like okay mercedes are genuinely in there but do you see it happening or is it just a hoax once again it all depends how you want to see it right because you know there were suddenly races where we arrived saying oh it's a smooth surface high speed corners mercedes will be in the fight and suddenly they weren't right and 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 now it's it's down to the fact that there are two very crucial changes that are being enabled from the belgian grand prix this is a little technical you will see formula one talk about it put out videos and the likes but the first change is the porpoising that people were talking about or the vertical oscillations that we've seen drivers and teams and especially mercedes and everybody at mercedes including the social media admin who has never felt porpoising has gone on and on about porpoising for all the right or wrong reasons is for you to judge right but uh, those measurements have been taken over the last three or four races and now they will be implemented every team will have to be within a certain limit of the vertical oscillations uh, that the cars are going to sort of be suffering through a, a, you know, a Grand Prix weekend. And if you exceed the limit, you can actually get disqualified or get a penalty. So that's going to be that teams will have to find a comfort factor within the metric that comes. And the comfort, I don't mean when it comes to the drivers driving, I mean uh, a comfort within their setup because uh, they still need to make sure, at least the teams would never want to sacrifice performance over anything else, right? So that's one. And the second is, you know, we've seen flexi front wings and flexi rear wings last year. And now, you know, the Mercedes uh, team has successfully lobbied to get flexi floors out of the way. And the general assumption is that Red Bull and Ferrari actually had more flexi uh, flexi floors than some of the other teams, at least some of the other teams that Mercedes cared about, right? And hence, uh, there are going to be more stringent tests towards those flexing. And that everyone assumes will just get Mercedes closer to the top two, uh, you know, than any of the previous 13 races we've had in the season. So the question is, will this turn out to be another hoax of a three-way battle or will we actually have a three-way battle? And the bigger question is, to me, Samuel, if it is not a three-way battle, could it be that Ferrari actually drops out uh, like they did in Hungary? Because, you know, Mercedes is coming with a lot of momentum. George Russell's first pole position, you know, after scoring three and four, three and four finishes uh, for Mercedes, suddenly they're doing two and three, two and three. So lots of momentum coming in. And then and then there's Ferrari, right? I just have one thing to say. Uh, you know, Spa is a very, very long lap. 
if you actually end up messing your strategy, the penalty is that much more because you really have to drive seven kilometers uh, before you sort of uh, can go back into the pit. So it's a really long lap and hence the penalty for getting strategy wrong can be that much more. Perhaps it's more of a challenge for them. Okay, how can we get things even more wrong? Because I'm genuinely intrigued by that idea because what Mattia Binotto said at the end of the Hungarian Grand Prix was, even if we had put Charles Leclerc on the right tyres, it wouldn't have guaranteed a win. Now, that reasoning seems sort of flawed until you look at what happened to Carlos Sainz, who was on a similar strategy to Lewis Hamilton. In fact, the same one, if I'm not mistaken, but he just could not get his soft tyres warmed up at the end. So, are we perhaps seeing Ferrari's car and, and their abilities to actually play with the tyres going down a little bit? Or was that very condition-specific? I think this Belgian Grand Prix should, be, should reveal a little bit more about that as we, of course, see the weekend progress. But what I'm really excited to see, Kunal, is the rain as well. Because for all, for all of our chatter about, oh, can Mercedes join in? Will it be a fair three-way fight? For all we know, it could all be completely skewed by the rain coming in on Saturday and Sunday, as is, of course, projected to be the case, according to Google. And I'm not sure if it's the most trusted source in the world. But again, the best way is to only put your arm outside and check if it's raining or not. But still, it could add a layer of volatility. This could just end up becoming a very exciting weekend if, of course, we get a race at the end. And that's what everyone's hoping, right? If you if you guys actually go back to Wikipedia and just check... Uh, the race results from last year. And this is actually fun. It's meme-worthy, right? Max Verstappen was adjudged the race winner, as we all know. He did one racing lap, which was, of course, behind the safety car, which is also what we know. And the total race time was 3 minutes and 27 seconds, which is, without even checking, the shortest race duration ever in the history of Formula 1. So I'm really hoping that the rain comes in brings the grid in closer, separates the men from the boys and all those, you know, philosophies that everyone brings to the table. But eventually, I'm really hoping that it keeps delivering what we hope is delivered around the Spa-Francorchamps, which pretty much every driver absolutely loves driving at. And, uh, you know, just having a race in itself would be progression from what we had last year, Sobel. Exactly that. So the benchmark is pretty low. But I'll tell you where the benchmark is really high. The stats preview. Here's F1 stats guru back in after, what, three and a half weeks of having a last stats preview. Here's him coming up with some of the best stats about the Belgian Grand Prix. Hey folks, it's time to do the stats preview of the Belgian Grand Prix. My name is Sundaram, also known as the F1 stats guru. Like always, let's talk numbers. Now, Spa-Francorchamps is one fast circuit. It's in fact the fifth fastest circuit of all time in Formula 1, after Monza, Jeddah, Silverstone and Mugello. The average speed here is 249 km per hour, which is very quick. We also know there's a technical directive in place, and rumour has it that it could catapult Mercedes back into the championship fight if things go well for them. And what better venue to make a statement than Belgium? because Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton love this venue. Hamilton has seven consecutive podiums at Spa, while Mercedes have been on the podium in every Belgian Grand Prix since 2013. Definitely should keep an eye out for this team this weekend. Ferrari have also been trying to get their title campaign back on track, but they are the most successful team around this venue and know a thing or two about winning around this track. But they would definitely want to improve their pole record here because they've taken just 5 poles in the last 45 Belgian Grand Prix. And qualifying up front is very very important because 75% of all the races at Spa in the hybrid era have been won from pole. 
Interestingly, the last eight races here have all been won from the front row. And the last stat of today is that this venue hasn't been very kind to Spanish drivers. Spa is actually a bogey track for our Spaniards over here. Fernando Alonso has been in Formula 1 a long time and in 16 appearances at Spa, he's accumulated just 61 points. No wins, no poles and just 3 podiums to his name. And as for the other Spaniard, Carlos Sainz has just 1.5 points at Spa in 7 outings. Now they're definitely going to be hoping and praying for a huge haul of points this time out. Well, that was the stats preview. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Do keep an eye out for more such stats and facts on my Twitter and Instagram under the name F1 Stats Guru. I'll see you guys later. Now then, on that subject, Ferrari might be pretty happy, Kunal, because, of course, Sundaram mentioned this really interesting stat that only 38% of all the races at Spa have been won by the pole sitter. And they might not be happy, actually. I've ended up using the wrong word for that because it kind of is pretty much a reflection of what's happening for Leclerc and his season overall. I just want to chat about him for a second because if you look at it all the way through, I think he's one of the drivers to really watch for this weekend because, if anything, he's the one who actually has to go out there and consistently put out, what is it, nine ultra-human performances, if you can put it that way? Because as it stands, the title battle is just sinking away and as Sundaram mentioned in our mid-season review episode, it could well be done by Japan if things play out in Max's favour. If they do play out in Max's flavor, you can actually win it by Singapore, which would mean Max scoring 26, 26, 26 and 26 and Leclerc not scoring at all, right? And uh, to put it it this way, Ferrari actually haven't scored a pole or they have actually scored just five pole positions in the last 45 Belgian Grand Prix, right? And the pole sitter, however, has finished on the podium in every Belgian GP since 2007. So, you know, it's it's like, can Leclerc score, score their sixth pole position out of 46 Grand Prix? Probably the chance is high. But hey, he needs to be on the better side of the pole sitter finishing on the podium stat. He needs to be on the top step of the podium. And there's another interesting uh, stat, again, courtesy our F1 stats guru. Uh, there has been no repeat winner since 2007 the last driver to actually have a repeat win here was Kimi Raikkonen who coincidentally had his NASCAR debut last weekend and that was fairly disastrous right but Kimi King of Spa as he's always known will be missed this this weekend and uh, I, I am I you know at the end of the day just really hoping that Spa delivers what it always does which is a classic Grand Prix. Yeah, and for all we know, it could be a long time until we see Spa consistently on the F1 calendar. And we might just have to get used to these one-year gaps here and there, which is not what we really want. But again, it it might be something that we have to get used to, as Steve Slater mentioned in a previous episode of the podcast, that perhaps rotating the historical races might make them feel more valuable. But you can certainly feel the value in the air for this particular race canal, because when it's Spa, there's always an excitement, not just about the race, not just about the driver uh, driver market per se, but also of all the new changes that Formula One introduces at around this time for the coming years. And that means we get to talk about the 2026 Formula One regulations briefly as well, because... The goals are ambitious, 100% sustainability, totally on biodegradable fuel. And it's, of course, designed in a way that Audi and Porsche might be interested. But in general, it seems like F1 is moving a step forward, looking towards being more carbon neutral. But wouldn't that mean 
trying to make sure that the freight and cargo, which is, I think, contributing to around 70% of F1's entire emissions, gets cut down. So it's only carbon neutral in name, perhaps? No? You know, frankly speaking, I'm sure F1 will keep working towards making themselves more sustainable. There's a 2030 net carbon zero target they've taken and so on. But the very fact that they're moving towards, you know, biodegradable non-fossil fuel fuel right is a massive step in itself could it open up another dimension for combustion vehicles around the world right because suddenly there is this whole thing of hey everybody needs to go electric right but uh, let's see how it all opens because frankly the biggest excitement around the 2026 regulations is hey now that they're confirmed when will Porsche and even Audi come ahead and disclose their plans right now for Porsche everyone was hoping it's going to be the Austrian Grand Prix which was a couple of races ago home race of Red Bull what better time to you know announce that but after Spa we have sound food could the, could the announcement come to sound food right and you know there have been uh, lots of papers that have been officially filed for Porsche to enter Formula One with Red Bull they've also uh, you know copyrighted finally uh, where i is replaced with a one uh, towards their entry into formula one so they, you know it's it's now more a question of hey when are you guys actually going to tell us what we already know that's that's where we are looking at and that's all the excitement around the 2026 regulations at least from a non-technical fan point of view and also around this time in the summer break there has been a bit of news about andretti trying to improve and build a new base in indiana for other future racing exercises now you get an idea about what that is we we're not speculating about anything could be formula 1 could be some other sport whatsoever but a 100 what 100 million plus base for other future racing exercises i don't know which other motorsport kind of compares with a similar budget but that that's this that's, that's something else that we can, of course, speculate about later on as we get more news. But the driver market as well, Canal. I mentioned early on that there's an air of excitement surrounding it every time we come to Spa. This time more so than ever with the Piasco. But I suppose we've spoken about it enough on the podcast. Let's speak about the other remaining seats because there's only one at Alpine now that I can really think of that will be valued per se. And are we, are we counting Yuki Sonoda to be a certainty for next year too? Because nothing's there officially, but... I see no reason why they will change it, right? Liam Lawson's actually in the car for Alpha Tauri this weekend, even though he's not been the best performing Red Bull Jr. this season, right? He started off as a favorite, like Helmut Marko said, but, you know, the others have actually outshone uh, him uh, by a large margin. Uh, will Yuki Sonoda get uh, a renewal? Uh, well, we'll all keep wondering. And then, you know, Franz Tost will just sit in a press conference one day and slip it out saying Yuki will drive for us in 23. And then pretty much everyone who was building all the hype will be shocked saying, oh, my God, we didn't even release a social media creative. And now he's gone and revealed it. That's what Franz Tost did with Pierre Gasly and with uh, with uh, his renewal. And then Liam Lawson's much awaited Formula One uh, you know, FP1 debut as well. So that's something to look forward to. Another interesting development that actually happened in the summer break was Antonio Giovinazzi was announced uh, that uh, he would drive two FP1 sessions for Haas uh, this uh, this year, one of them being Monza, the Italian Grand Prix, which is also his home race, right? Now, there are two interesting uh, things about this. First is 
uh, Giovinazzi is a Ferrari test driver or a reserve driver, and he's been doing a lot of simulator work, but he's never actually driven the 2022 spec car. So this test with Haas is to actually get Giovinazzi uh, up to speed or up to, you know, real world liking of what a 22 car is apart from just in the simulator, right? Uh, but the other interesting part for Haas, at least, is to see how Giovinazzi actually is a benchmark when it comes to Magnussen and even Mick Schumacher, because Mick Schumacher is without a contract, rumors around him leaving the Ferrari Driver Academy and whatever else and stuff that's been doing the rounds as well. So could it be that, you know, Giovinazzi is one of those several drivers that Haas will again want to explore a relationship with uh, for 2023. I mean, Haas has always been, uh, you know, a hot spot where could an experienced driver actually go there? And Nico Hulkenberg was always rumored to join there after he left Renault, but he never did. So Haas will be doing their evaluations as well. There's a seat at Williams. There's, there's a seat at Aston. Oh, Aston Martin is now fulfilled because they slipped in a Lance Stroll announcement as well. So I don't expect things to happen immediately. But I normally get this wrong. I mean, you know, we are recording this on the Tuesday or Wednesday before the race. Suddenly, when we publish this on a Thursday, there'll be five more driver announcements that would come up. But, you know, you never know, Samuel. Exactly. It might just happen that when we publish this episode, an hour later, McLaren sent out a press release saying, oh yeah, Daniel Ricciardo, heard of him? Yeah, he's not going to be driving for us next year. Something or the other like that always tends to happen. And that's just the thing with this time of the year, with Spa Francochamps, which leads me to ask you, Kunal, about your favorite Spa memory. But I suppose I always end up uh, not seeing my memory in this, in this case. So I think I'll start off in this particular one. Uh, it's hard to really choose out of so many great races that we've had in the past. But 2018, just the opening lap when Sebastian Vettel uh, came. Hey, here comes Sebastian Vettel, the famous line, of course. I wanted to say that aloud. But yeah, that was quite something where you just saw a surge. And it felt almost for a second like a transformation that, oh my God, Ferrari have really overtaken Mercedes. And then there's a team like Force India also coming in the background. But False dawn for what it was. Yeah, that, that was a bad one. But there's, there's, been, there's been so many other races that I just can't recall at the tip of my finger right now. But if you had to pick one, Kunal, which one would it be? Oh, I know already. Is it the double pass that Hakkinen made on Schumacher and, and the back marker? I don't remember. Yes, Ricardo Zonta. Hakkinen, Ricardo Zonta and Michael Schumacher. And then we all know how that played out. And you expect that to be played out several times over this weekend as well. But lots of personal memories, because normally this would be a race I would travel to uh, every season because of the very fact that it's par driver changes. And, you know, one of, one memory that really stands out was when Pierre Gasly was demoted uh, mid-season. Alex Albon was suddenly promoted. I had the opportunity to sit through both their media sessions and poor Gasly, you know, he was sitting the way I'm sitting in this chair and there were like 300 of us, maybe more uh, post, you know, pre-COVID times, just staring him down, asking him all the questions, trying and poor Pierre, you know, he was just trying to keep a straight face, not show too much emotion and and so on. And of course, on the other side of the garage or at the other side of the, the motorhome, since Red Bull and Alpha Tauri share the, their motorhome, there was Alban who was like, oh my God, you know, I've gone from uh, Formula E to Alpha Tauri to Formula One. And then we all know how that whole story panned out. But uh, lots of personal stories, uh, I, I would say, you know, I actually ended up uh, at the circuit with my accreditation uh, not being found. And uh, Formula One actually said, oh, it's, you know, it was 
I think Liberty Media had just sort of taken over. And typically it's like, you don't have an accreditation, even though you applied for it in time, even though you have an email saying it's approved, that's your problem, right? But here they couldn't find it. And they're like, oh my God, we are sorry, we'll fix it. Can you anyway please enter? So I was walking around the paddock without an accreditation. And all my, you know, uh, the, my friends who work with Formula One teams actually said, but hey, where's your pass? And I said, guess what? I'm, it's coming at five in the evening. And they're like, how on earth are you even in the paddock? And, you know, that that's, you know, it was it signified the change in attitude towards uh, Formula One, towards media, towards us journalists. Uh, between the Ecclestone era and and then uh, the Liberty Media era, more friendly, etc. But yeah, lots of lots of stories. You know, we actually drove down the old circuit layout with Norwegian commentators Stein Pettersen and Henning Isdal, and then we went and it's uh, the famous Fritz, as they call it, just uh, uh, outside of Malmedy, was it? I can't remember. But yeah, lots of exciting stories, lots of memories. What a what a historic circuit. I mean, we are celebrating Spa today for what it is now. But actually, what we are celebrating Spa for is what it was all the way back from 1925, all the history that it comes with. It does. And it's got 12 different configurations over the course of its entire history, Kunal. 12. 12 is a ridiculous number. It's changed so much. And we've also got a new one starting off this weekend. So just what is this new change to Spa Francorchamps all about? Actually, it's not just one change. There are so many of them. So to explain that, we've got F1 stats guru coming right up. Formula 1 drivers undergo several highs and lows throughout their career. Now, I don't mean in terms of performance this time, but in terms of elevation. It's the Belgian Grand Prix weekend at Spa Francorchamps, and we can't help but talk about its crests and troughs. Spa is a true roller coaster of a track, quite literally. It has the biggest elevation change in Formula 1. Now, I'm sure you're probably thinking of Eau Rouge, or rather, Radion, which is the correct name of that corner. But yes, that corner has a sharp incline, and F1 says the rise in elevation of the whole section is 40.8 meters, which is equivalent to a 12 story building. Yes, that's how steep it is. But wait, that's not all. You see, the highest point on the track is further up Radion after the Camel Strait at Turn 7, which is called Malmedy, whereas the lowest section of the circuit is right before the long and curvy back straight at Turn 15, which is also called Stavelot. The overall elevation change between these two corners is a whopping 102 meters or 335 feet. That's even taller than London's Elizabeth Tower. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell, it's more commonly referred to as the Big Ben. And that whole structure is 96 meters in height. You could also stack up 100 F1 cars from 2022 to better understand how big that elevation difference is. And that's the charm of Spa Francorchamps. I mean, imagine this circuit without any elevation change at all. Nah, it just takes away all the fun. We love Spa the way it is. And hopefully we'll continue to see this track on the calendar in the next years as well. I hope you liked this little bite on the spa circuit and to hear more such stories, stay tuned to the Inside Line F1 podcast. Wow, we so to make it safer, that's the interesting part. And Spa Francorchamps, unfortunately, we all know that the history of safety here, not just because of the circuit, because they've usually been very proactive, but it's racing, right? Stuff happens, unfortunately, over here. And it's good to see the organizers going a step beyond. But will Ferrari go that one step beyond? That's the major question that I'm really looking forward to. Or will they slip back down? Which 
which is my prediction for this weekend. Uh, I'm only saying for Leclerc because, as you guys already know, the running joke on the podcast, I'm always going to bet on a Carlos Sainz win. And it's only come off correctly once. But that, that's my prediction over there. But, but what about you, Kanal? A Mercedes in the mix? Are you just kind of hoping for a secret Hamilton win here or there? First thing about the whole safety and the changes that have been made. It's like the halo. You know, we all were like, oh my God, the cars look atrocious, etc., etc. And then all it took was one crash and be like, okay, wow, the halo saved Charles Leclerc at the Belgian Grand Prix when he was racing for Sauber, Alfa Romeo, whatever the team name was back then, right? So it's going to be the same with Orouge, Radilion and all the changes they've made. People are going to be like, it's taken the charm away, etc., etc. But eventually it's just been made safer. And uh, sometimes it's a bit of a trade-off that comes. So I'm pretty positive about the changes, even without actually having seen, uh, you know, cars being driven up in anger. But Red Bull Racing actually put out, have put out... Uh, uh, you know, Red Bull Racing actually put out an onboard video with one of their show cars going up, uh, Eau Rouge and Radilion and so on. So go ahead and check that out. But talking of a win, uh, I will go for a Leclerc win. I think we're going to see a fight back. I don't think it's going to be a fight back to win the championship, but I definitely think it's going to be a fight back. We will see some of Ferrari trying to claw back what it is and just trying to delay a Max Verstappen title win to as later in the season as possible and I think that's going to be a lot of joy for us and will Mercedes be in the mix I definitely think so you know lobbying is such a crucial part of Formula One and Mercedes have successfully lobbied this one Sobel they finally have in and they just are in this unique position of not being the number one after so long and just seeing their journey climbing their way back up to the top is so interesting and why don't you join us in watching all of that? So, link in the description, as I mentioned previously in this episode, and as Steve also mentioned, to join us for the Watch Along starting this Sunday. I mean, it'll be fun to watch the race along with Steve Slater, know his insights, ask him questions, discuss the start, discuss the strategies. I'm already pumped up for that. So, if you want to join us, check out the link in the description below. And it'll be fun, that's for sure. So, there's that, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you did, you know what to do, folks. Leave a good rating, subscribe to the podcast, leave a like if you can, if the, pot- if the platform allows for it. But that's, that's all the other good stuff that I know you're going to do. So, see you then, folks. Join us for the watch-along, and we shall be back rather soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>